Hi, and welcome back to Map the Maze. So continuing the discussion with Dr. Monica Borschel this week. So welcome back. Thank you, Sala. Nice to see you. Good to see you again. And today we're going to follow on from the discussion last week, which was looking at some of the impact, some of the feelings that people may have as they approach divorce and separation, that maybe life is over. And today we're going to talk a little bit about some of the ways that people try and survive in mediation through divorce and separation. So I guess one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit is we started talking last time about some of the um, amygdala responses connected to anger and fear, like fight and flight. Maybe could I just ask you to talk a little bit more about those, about how we experience those reactions and what their reactions to? Sure. So fight, flight, freeze, or fawn helps us to survive. So if there's a perceived threat, a perceived danger, then our amygdala sends a warning to our nervous system and our whole body takes over. And so when we're in this survival mode, our frontal lobe, which is our executive planning, our thinking, clear thoughts, it doesn't always work. And so people will do things in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn they wouldn't normally do. It's because their amygdala has said, you're in danger, I got to take over, I don't have time to think. And so that could even be physical, like the adrenaline, stomach aches, all of that. Yeah. So I guess one thing that you just said there, which I think is really interesting, is that um, the amygdala is saying, "We don't. I don't have time yes. for you to figure out cognitively, is this a threat? Is this safe? Exactly. I'm, gonna, I'm going to manage this situation. Essentially, totally. I'm going to take over. Yes. I'm going to be responsible for making decisions. But also, it's happening on a level that's subconscious because it's so fast. Yes. Yeah. So how quickly are we responding if our amygdala is responding to a perceived threat? Very quickly. Very quickly. And so that is all of the adrenaline you feel. Your stomach might get sick. And you have to empty your stomach so you can flee or fight. And you don't have time to think, okay, what will I make for dinner tonight? It's like there's something coming at me and I need to react now if I'm going to live. And so even though divorce isn't... Um, a life-threatening situation, usually our brains might feel that way because we want to protect our identity. Um, even our biology gets affected in loss. So we're, we're protecting something. And so it feels like I need to protect my children, my finances, mm -hmm. my identity, and I go into survival mode. I can go into survival mode, yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think sometimes when I work with people, I see them responding in a way that I think is partly to do with this sense mm. that there is a not necessarily a conscious perception of threat at that level, but a subconscious perception that this is life-threatening, that if they don't respond with something extreme, they're not going to survive it. It's actually a real challenge to their whole existence and maybe their children's existence. So one of the um, reactions that you mentioned was fight. So how would we normally think about that? If we saw it, what would it look like? So fight is a way, if you think about these reactions also help 
or are also seen in animals, fight might even just be a, I'm going to make myself big and puff myself up so that you don't attack me mm. so that I'm, this is my way of thinking I'm safe. It can, so that could be the verbal aggression, the even lead to some verbal abuse louder, or it could be an actual physical fight. Mm. I guess I'm just wondering, thinking about what I've seen from people in mediation, but could one example of a fight reaction be, I'm going to get myself the toughest lawyer in town. I'm going to get the scariest lawyer. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the puffing up, right? That's a, I'm going to look big so you don't hurt me and then you get intimidated and back down. Yeah. I think um, definitely I see some people Typically, it's not people who feel that they've done that, that they've gone to the scariest lawyer in town, but people who are worried their spouse has, that they perceive the ex-partner's lawyer as this very threatening, very aggressive, unreasonable person, and they then become concerned about how am I going to deal with that? You know, my lawyer is so nice. Are they going to be able to manage dealing with this hyper-aggressive lawyer on the other side. I see that quite a lot. I can imagine. As a reaction. Yeah, so that could be a fight-fight, right? Because there's two people in this dynamic. And so that also adds fight with a flighter, fight with a freezer, (laughs) fight with a pawn. Yeah, Yeah. but I guess that's the other interesting thing. So if both parties are experiencing a fight response, Mm -hmm. can that lead to escalation? Absolutely. I think that's so... I don't want to say worst outcome, but I would say that is a high conflict outcome. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess what's interesting is that even though it seems like quite a um, conscious act to go and choose a lawyer, to hire Mm. them, to put them on retainer, actually the initial impetus for why you've chosen that person, that lawyer, because maybe they have a reputation, Mm -hmm. could happen on a subconscious level. Like you've made the decision and now your conscious brain is helping you execute it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So behind this can be fear and anger, but what's behind anger? Many, many emotions Mm. could still go back to fear. So I have to protect myself. I have to protect my children. I need someone, like you said, the high profile Mm. legal team that will get you to back down. Yeah. 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 I think that's, I mean, it's an interesting way of thinking about how people choose their legal advisors. Um, I think the more obvious way that I see it in mediation is is just the fight, mm-hmm. is that actually people are can become aggressive, can become um, too assertive, and are not capable of managing their emotions, that actually the fight instinct just takes over. And mm-hmm. it's almost as if they have lost control, yeah, lost their ability to regulate. Is that what's happening for people? Yeah, it can be. So, yeah, if your amygdala is on, on, really on, then you don't always have access to your frontal Mm. lobe. You don't always have access to clear thinking. Yeah, so I guess sometimes you would say that people can get flooded. Yes, it's it's flooding. It is the same as flooding. Yeah, so it's almost like there's no um, to to come off that response. Mm -hmm. You actually need to break often yeah you need to break and calm down now fight is interesting because some people well it could be any of these responses some people actually they 
might not show on the outside mm. that they're scared or angry. It's all inside, but they can manage it very well. And that, that doesn't necessarily have to be high conflict. Some people might not have the physiology, mm. but they're still using fight as an intimidation, mm. manipulative mm. process mm -hmm. without the mm. internal struggle. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think definitely the shouting, I guess one way that we try and deal with it in mediation is to separate is actually mm -hmm. to take a break, to be in separate rooms, to give people a chance to go walk around outside, to kind of just to have essentially a timeout mm -hmm. to try and um, calm themselves. Yes. But yeah, it's fight is challenging. Fight I, is challenging. Yes, yeah. fight is challenging. And it can be very loud because I guess I think one of the other things that maybe people don't realize is if there are two people in the room who are very triggered and who are both experiencing a fight reaction to what's going on. If you're the third person in the room, you're also exposed to that mm -hmm. dynamic and there is a risk that you become part of that. True. Yeah. True. And so as the third party, mm -hmm. it's almost like watching, right? You watch like mm -hmm. a drama, like a TV show, like, you just have to separate yourself. You observe yeah. without judging. Because as yeah. soon as you judge, then maybe your fight yes. or flight response will come on. If you feel threatened, if you feel scared. Yeah. 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 I would say that does sometimes, you'll be surprised to hear that sometimes in mediation, people shout at their mediator. Oh, um, sure. Yeah. But I guess it's funny. I mean, one of the things that we talk about in mediation is modeling behavior and helping to prime parties and we don't really have time to talk about mirror neurons here, but how can we present a calm, regulated face so that the parties have somebody that they can see in the room is responding to what's happening in a way that is calm. Mm -hmm. But yes, easier said than done some days. Easier said <laughs> than done. Same for the clients. They might yes. come into the mediation yeah. thing and I'm going to be calm, I'm going to keep it together, I'm going to be centered. You know, I've been meditating, doing yes. yoga, doing my mindfulness. And then as soon as they see their partner, it's just like, it's, oh, no, here we go. Yeah. yeah. I would say definitely um, from what I see, there are some, sometimes it's the way something is said is a trigger. Sometimes it's the word, like the actual yes. word is the trigger. Even a look on their face. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so that one is one that I see quite a lot. Can you tell us a little bit about flight? So what is flight as a response? So if fight is I'm going to puff myself up and intimidate you. Yes. What is flight? Flight is you are intimidating me. I'm scared. I'm just going to run away. I'm out of here. I'm not going to deal with this. This is how I keep myself safe because you are dangerous. Yeah. And so I'm not sure how this relates in mediation, but mm. maybe you can ex explain that. Yeah, I guess... I mean, it's hard to see because some of them, there can be some overlap. And we'll talk a little bit about maybe some overlap with freeze behavior. Mm -hmm. um, but I think for me, it's often that one party very much wants to come to mediation. And so they'll be saying, I'm trying to get my former partner to come to mediation. Can you speak to them? Can you write to them? I want to come in. I'm really keen to come in. Can I just mm -hmm. come in? Um, I have people who do that where one of them really wants to come. And I always have to say, because this is, going to require two of you I have to I have to speak to both of you I need both of you to be committed to the process so sometimes I see flight potentially as somebody who won't come to mediation who uh, won't make appointments won't engage in the process at all the challenge I think that I see with those people is often 
it's quite frustrating for the other side. So if you won't engage with mediation, if you won't start a negotiation process, that can push people to become even more aggressive. So they can just say, you know yeah. what, I'm going to follow a legal process because I can't get you to the table mm-hmm. that you won't engage with me. So I think that's a challenge. Yeah, so you can see how fight one person's mm-hmm. fight and one person might be flight. And so if you have two people in flight, I can imagine nothing gets done. <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's just like, well, I'm going to go. You're going to go. Maybe we don't need to sign any documents. Mm. Maybe we just avoid. Yeah. And maybe it's okay until they're ready. Maybe when they're ready, they'll come back to the table. Yeah. And I think that's actually a really good message, which is that, you know, when I was talking in the last podcast about people who see the photo and within the week, photo of the indiscretion, within the week, they're in the room with the lawyer, then they're in the room with the mediator. When when is the right time to actually start the process of trying to make your arrangements? It's not the same for everybody. And I think some people come too soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if there is a too late, but definitely some people come too soon. And often we, I mean, we can talk about it, but one of the things that we see is just a difference. There's a dissonance in how adjusted people are. And so one person might be further along than the other, and now they're in a sort of a situation where their ability to process this and come to mediation is is different because they're in different places emotionally and psychologically with what's happening. Yeah, I can see how that works and everything happens in a dynamic mm. in relationships and divorce. Mm. And so if I'm too fight, of course this other person might fight yeah. or puff up even bigger and that's a high conflict, fight, fight, fight. But so if you feel like, oh, my person is flight in yeah. flight mode what do I need to do to soften it up a little bit mm. so that they're not afraid to come to the table yeah unless that's part of the game of the fight is keep you away so that I can just take and then I don't know so it is very it's very much in a dynamic yeah it's interesting actually because one even once people have separated and divorced we often try and build in guidelines about what mm. does if they if there are children what does future co-parenting look like and one conversation that we sometimes have around the table is when you send me the email or the text ex-partner I feel I have a physical reaction to that which is nausea you know sweating heart rate Mm -hmm. you know whatever it is can we agree a a way to communicate that is more structured so I have some people who you know they say but I've sent you the the email about you know the plans for the summer holidays and you didn't respond so then I send you another email and I send you another email so the one person is kind of um I guess chasing and the other person's getting further and further away and withdrawing even more Um, I'm not sure it's quite flight but it's that kind of dynamic so we can also talk about how do we manage that I think that is related to flight and sometimes it might be flight because of denial which is Mm. more cognitive right like I don't want to get a divorce Mm. I'm just going to run away or I don't want to face this. It's too embarrassing. It's too the scary is the flight for sure. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess the next one that we were mentioning was freeze. Mm-hmm. So maybe could you just explain what freeze looks like? Yeah. So this freeze response. is similar to what we were talking about in the last podcast, where brains don't like pain; they get overwhelmed, and so they might dissociate. And dissociation looks like numbing out, spacing out even feeling out of body like this isn't real and they 
literally can't move sometimes. And it might even be like I'm in such a grief state that I'm so confused that I don't know if I'm coming or going. My whole body has slowed down. My brain has slowed down. And that requires a lot of patience Mm. because the more you push that person, the more they might freeze. The more you send those letters from your solicitor, you might just put more and more freeze, right? So if you see someone you're divorcing with, if it's not a manipulation tactic, right? If it's a real freeze or flight, you might want to ease up a little bit Mm. and give them some space give them some time to process it, even ease up on your own tactic so that they feel safe to come to the table so that they feel like, okay, someone's on my side. Someone's going to, I don't want to say hold my hand, but in freeze, it can definitely be, I need someone to support me. To support me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think freeze is a hard one. I mean, I think when I was trying to think about how do I see this play out in mediation, that often it's people who, similar to flight, they don't want to commit to the session. So they'll commit to a date to come, but then at the last minute they pull out. Mm-hmm. Or um, they don't, we need homework or data or information to progress at the next mediation session. They don't do it. Oh, I haven't had time to do my homework. I don't have the information. Therefore, we can't have a discussion around it. Therefore, we're not going to make any progress. Um, I think the most frustrating is when people make agreements not for me, but for the other party, when they make an agreement and it seems like we have an arrangement in place and then at the last minute the other person says, I'm not going to sign that or I'm going to pull back from that arrangement. I need something to change. And I think sometimes it can be a strategy. As you said, it can be strategic. But a lot of times I think what's happening is that the putting in place of the arrangement, the signing of the document, is there's a finality around that, that people are not ready yeah, again, it might they yeah. might not be ready. Yeah. So I think what you were saying about maybe it's thinking about, do I need to pull back a bit to give the other person some space? I think that can really help. Yeah, it can be helpful. Or even if you're a fighter, recognizing what's my responsibility here? Have I been too aggressive? Have I intimidated them a little too much that they don't even dare to show up now? Mm. So if that's the case, maybe think, and it can be hard if you're a fighter, it can be really hard to say, okay, what's my responsibility here? Because there might be a lot of rage. But even then an apology of saying, you know, I could have handled that better. I could have communicated that better. It might bring a freezer or a flight back to the table. Yeah. I think one thing actually that um, I just worked with some clients today, and one thing that was really nice that happened across the table was an acknowledgement, was an expression of gratitude. So even just acknowledging the other person saying, you know, thank you, I really appreciate that you came, that you made this effort to come today to talk about this. Yes. This is really hard, but thank you. That That would help a lot. That can also help. That would help a lot. Yeah, for especially freeze or flight. Yeah. But freeze, I think, is the hardest one. Even for the person in freeze, they're like, I'm so confused. I'm so disoriented. I'm so paralyzed. Mm. I, I don't even know where to begin here. I need support. Yeah. yeah. I guess the challenge is then for those professionals supporting somebody who's maybe in freeze, whether they're a mental health professional or a legal professional, is just you may be giving the best sort of support and advice in the world, but they may not be able to focus on it. 
or take it in. Yeah, that's true. And so if someone's in freeze, do we need to add more support? Do we need mm -hmm. to add more resources? Again, you know, you have to be very careful because is this a real response or is this a tactic in mm -hmm. mediation or yeah. court cases? And that can also be confusing. So as mediators, I think you start to understand people and tactics and so I think mediators usually would understand right yeah no I think it's something that um, mediators are alive to as an issue and definitely also um, seeing people use some of these responses strategically is an issue um, but you never know I mean that's always yeah, the way because we can't we don't get very to, good yes and also and we don't get to Good see actors. inside people's heads so even yeah, if this right. is some a behavior they've never displayed before well, guess what? They've never been divorced before. Right. True. So this is a novel situation for everybody, mm -hmm. usually. Um, obviously, some people have done it before. Um, but for most people, this is a novel situation. They don't know how they're going to respond until yes. they're in it. So I think um, from my perspective, there's no, there's no harm in taking a bit of time, giving some processing time, taking a little bit of a step back um, just to see if that helps. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Sometimes it is great to take a step back. Yeah. And the last one that you mentioned was fawn. So can you tell us a little bit what fawn might look like? Yeah, so fawn is people-pleasing. If I just give you what I want, maybe you'll come out of fight mode. Or if I just give you what you want, I'll be safe. If I give you what you want, maybe you'll even come back to me, mm. right? So fawns are very easy to work with, but they need to be protected because they might be giving too much. They might, let's say they might have not have good boundaries. They give and give and give, but unfortunately sometimes that's not great for them because they might be giving too much. Um, and they might even be apologizing for everything. So these are people, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. They might. It might feel like to them, I don't deserve money out of this divorce. I don't deserve to see my kids or I just need to fly under the radar. So they're very cooperative for sure. So there's a difference between cooperating and fawning. You can cooperate with boundaries and say, well, this is hopefully something that both of us can agree on and not just you want this, so I'm going to give it to you. And then I lose and you take. And so that's why funds need to be protected sometimes. Mm. Now I can think of cases I've worked with where, for whatever reason, people felt that um, in mediation we're not dealing in a court of law and mediators yes. are not judges. Yes. But we also try and ensure that outcomes are within a range of legal probability. Mm -hmm. who knows what will actually happen in court but at least there are probable outcomes or at least a range of those and I have worked in cases where somebody is way outside that the um, things they're offering to the other person their proposals are so outside the range of normal legal outcomes that you do have to as a mediator question why is this happening what is this mm -hmm. is going on here I guess one thing I often see and I don't know whether this is natural is that there can sometimes be a reaction between guilt about maybe behaviors that have happened during the relationship mm -hmm. and a desire to accommodate the other person, to offer them more, to somehow compensate them for what happened. Yeah, so the guilt 
definitely people can even fight. Like, I feel so guilty, mm. but I'm going to project that always from me and turn into a fighter. But it could also be a fun, yeah. They feel so bad. They feel like they have to keep giving. Mm. But it's the same deal, right? Fawns need boundaries. Yeah. What is the boundary here? Yeah. And I think just as um, for anybody working in mediation, one of the challenges for us is not that there is a settlement today, mm. but is there still a sustainable agreement in a month's time, in a year's time? Not that it's perfect, not that anyone's happy, but is it still okay? Are people still comfortable with the decisions they made? Which is obviously a, a hard test, but um, I guess one that we have to do. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Okay, so I guess one of the things that we're going to talk about in the next podcast is how can you help yourself? So if you are maybe experiencing one of these reactions, what can you do to make it easier? What can you do to help calm yourself, to help get in a place where you can make good decisions, where you can access your cognitive processing to mm-hmm. to make good decisions for yourself and for your family? Um, so Dr. Monica, will you join us next time? <laughs> yeah, I would love to. Thank you, Sally. Okay. So thanks very much. Thanks for listening. Take care and see you next week. Welcome to Map the Maze. I wanted to share the ideas and thoughts in the podcast that you're about to listen to with a wider audience. But please know that nothing in this podcast is intended to be legal, financial or mental health advice. It is really important that you seek independent professional advice to help you with your situation and your circumstances. Knowledge is power. So let's get to it.